0: are worshipping online, I want to say welcome, God bless you, good to see you all as well. It is a glorious thing to be in God's presence. Um, We started a brand new series last week on empowerment for fruitfulness and as a matter of fact, we have just come into the second of the topics or the second in the series and uh, this particular topic is the living branches. It is themed, The Living Branches. Last week, we looked at the true vine. The true vine. Jesus said, I am the true vine. Can I have our banner, please? Is that possible? He said, I am the true vine. Thank you very much. And so that was our first topic. And the second one, you will see the little golden star will move from point to point as we go through the series in our normal way of just depicting all the topics in a series uh, in in a graphical format like this. So the second topic is living branches, living branches, because Jesus said we are those branches. Now, when I was preparing for this message, I was just trusting God to help me to cut it and trim it and shape it, because this is one message that can be a series on its own. Believe me, it can take us four weeks to finish what we want to finish in about an hour today. So I will crave your indulgence. I will speak very fast, and I will ask you to please write as much as you can. And obviously, the electronic resource will be there for you to listen. For those of you that may be newer to the church, we have uh, our messages hosted on, on YouTube on a page called LiveGate Outreach TV. LiveGate Outreach TV, all one word. Please go to it, subscribe to it, because when you subscribe, every time a message is loaded, you will find it. And if you are a favorite of podcasts, which you, can, you like listening to audio podcasts, and You have them in different ways on all the platforms that uh, you both on Android and on uh, iOS platforms. You can find us as LiveGate Outreach Center, and you can be downloading audio messages from there as well. We have messages as far back as 2017 on pod- podcasts and as far back as 2015 on YouTube. So may the Lord bless you as you do so in Jesus' name, Amen. The Living Branches, the Living Branches. I'd like to read again the first six verses of John chapter 15 very, very quickly. Just to remind us, earlier on, Bromatias led us very powerfully in reading the 17 verses. By the way, those 17 verses we'll be reading throughout this series till we finish. Because we want to get the concept and understand where Jesus is coming from and what we need to be doing in that session. uh, In each session. So John chapter 15 verse 1. The Bible says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Verse 2, everybody let's go. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, I would like you to look at verse 2 very well. There's been a lot of uh, this scripture being misconstrued and I believe that as we grow in the things of God, God will give us more insight and understanding as to what Jesus is saying here. Let's take it again, verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, let's keep going. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. We'll come to, back to verse 2 because that is our anchor scripture for this session. But let's keep going. Verse 3. He said, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine neither can you unless you abide in me can you see that now if you if you remember what he said in verse 2 he said every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away but he now gave the the secret of how that fruit bearing can take place in verse 4 he said abide in me and i in you as that branch that you and i are cannot bear fruit by itself It is impossible for a branch to bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, connects to the vine, remains in the vine. He said, neither can you unless you abide in me. Then let's keep going, verse 5. He reinforced again, verse 5. I am the vine, let's go, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. He said, I am the source. I am the vine. If you are going to bear fruit, which I'm expecting of you, he said, you are unable to do so unless you abide in me. And I also abide in you. He said, for without me, you can do nothing. Every one of these verses will form part of our series as we go on. So I wouldn't be wasting too much time for today. Let's read verse six together. Another key one we're going to look at today. He said, if anyone, let's go. If anyone does not abide in me, He is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. Now this is very important. Verse 2 again and then we'll read verse 6 again. Verse 2. Let's go. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he does what? And that's all he does. He takes away. Because there is a big difference here. Let's go to verse 6. Verse 6. Let's go. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. Now, this is very, very important today. And I want you to understand. What he said in verse 2 is if any branch does not bear fruit, he takes away he doesn't burn, he doesn't consume, he doesn't condemn, he takes away. And I'm going to explain the meaning of taking away. But if anyone does not abide in me, which is a very different thing completely, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire. And I'm going to explain what all these are, and then we're going to explain, we're going to look into the place of mercy as well as we go into this, and this is to help us to understand what Jesus is expecting of us and what he has prepared for us. The Bible says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for them that love him. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, that is. So there are two types of branches. Let's go back to verse 2. There are two types of branches, and I want us to always see that we must... Understand that there, while there are two broad categories of branches, every one of us must make sure that we are that second branch. The first one is every branch that does not bear fruit. This is the one he said he takes away. That is category one. And in every branch that bears fruit, what does he do to them? He prunes them that it may bear more fruit. So, There is branch that does not bear fruit, branch that bears fruit, and what he does with the two types of branches are completely different. And even with those that do not bear fruit, like I explained to you, there are those that do not bear fruit that he takes away, and there are those that are now refusing, not just not bearing fruit, but are also refusing to abide. Those are the ones he casts out into the fire. And let's look at it very well from other scriptures that will help us. So false branches, number one, that do not bear fruit. Let's talk about them. These are taken away, the Bible says, they are basically disconnected. Some translations say they are removed. What does that mean to us today? You see, if he was to be casting out everyone that does not bear fruit, even though they are still abiding, even though they are still uh, connected even though they are still professing, let me use the word, even though they are still professing to be his children, if he was to be casting them out into the fire for not bearing fruit, no, none of us here would have been able to be still here. We, we would have cast out all of us. <laughs> because when I show you the fruits that he's expecting us to bear, you will find that the, the reason why... He is pruning, is that we are bearing some, but we are not bearing others. So he prunes us so that we can bear what he calls more fruit, which covers those fruits, and that is what I want to explain to us. So we will look at what those fruits are later on. Uh, this is a very, very introverted and convoluted subject that you will need to understand in the many, many frames that it exists. Also. I would like you to also remember we are talking about the branches connected to the vine. There are times the Bible will refer to us as trees, what we see in some scriptures. He will refer to us as trees. And when he refers to us as trees, what we are connected to at that point, we, it must be the ground. Every tree comes out of the ground. Like the parable of the sower that talks about the good ground. So we are connected to the ground, and the grounds that we are connected to in those depictions of us as trees represent Christ. When we are referred to as buildings, the Bible will talk about us connected to foundations. In those cases, he is like the chief cornerstone, the foundation of foundations. And the foundation that is like the rock, which Matthew, Jesus talked about in Matthew 7, that when we are connected to. So I give those because... I don't want you to get fixated only on the branches. When we are in the context of the vine, he refers to us as the branch. But in other contexts, he refers to us as trees. He refers to us also as buildings and many other things that we can use to depict what it really means to be connected to him. But let's look at what it means by being taken away. He said in verse 2 again, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away he takes away. This represents a situation where a believer goes into isolation and frustration, not because God hates them, but simply because they are refusing to bear the fruit that is expecting of them. But his mercy is still available for such persons. And this is what I want us to see from scripture. In Matthew chapter twenty-five, verse twenty-nine, this is the parable of the talents. He said, "For to everyone who has, more will be given." Matthew twenty-five, twenty-nine. For everyone, for to everyone who has, more will be given, and will do what have abundance. Does that resonate with John fifteen-two that talks about pruning those who are bearing to bear more fruit? Beautiful. He said, more will be given and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, him who is not producing fruit, even whatever it is he has will be taken away. And then I want you to see what happens when he says he will be removed. Verse 30. He said, and cast, verse 30 please. Let's read verse 30 together. And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Many times people have read this to mean hell. No, he doesn't send people who are not bearing fruit to hell. What happens is that there is a severed relationship, not of a casting out, not of one that is a rejection. It is the type that the prodigal son had with the father. You know that the prodigal son went out of home, left his father. When he came back, it was never recorded that the father ever denounced him. It was a choice of the prodigal son not to bear fruit in the family, not to wait and take his time to grow into maturity to become the person he ought to be, but taking his lot and going ahead of time. So when he came back, when mercy prevailed and triumphed over judgment for him, the father opened his arms wide to receive him. He said, the unprofitable servant is cast into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, if you look at the story of the prodigal son, enjoying royalty at home, because there were royal robes, at the end of the day, he got the royal robe put on him. Remember the story in Luke 15? He was enjoying royalty. He was enjoying servants serving him. He was enjoying the peace of his father's house. But one day, he decided, I no longer want to bear fruit here. I no longer want to abide here. And he went on his own. And then he got into what the Bible calls here, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Because the Bible said that one day he was so hungry, he looked at pigs eating whatever it is that pigs were eating. (laughs) And he desired to eat it. That is the base of a human being. When you look at what an animal is eating and you desire it because you have nothing else to eat. So that is a a place and a type of weeping and gnashing of teeth, which is brought about. By, uh, as a person who is an unprofitable person because they refuse to abound, abide in the will and the dictates of the Father. So when he talks about casting them, when he talks about removing them, what he's saying is that such people, de- such people remove themselves even though they are still children of God. Such people put themselves in a situation where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. There are many examples of people that walked away into disobedience in Scripture, which took them a lot of problem. To, uh, took them into a lot of problem. One very good example is a man called Jonah. We use him a lot. Sent to a place, but decided to go another way, and we saw how difficult the, 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 his life became because he was he was actually cast out of a, a ship and cast into the water. And put many people and families in places where they were afraid and tormented. Simply because he was cast into outer darkness. My point is this. As we look at the different fruits that we ought to be bearing, we should see why we must not allow ourselves not to be bearing any at all. We must be people who bear fruit so that we will not be removed. So that we will not be into weeping and gnashing of teeth one of the easiest ways to be frustrated as a Christian is to lack fruit bearing. It becomes very easy for you to find frustration in the place where you should, in the kingdom that should give you righteousness and peace and joy simply because you are not bearing fruit. And so this is why I'm making the emphasis for us to understand this. God wants us to clearly bear fruit. He wants us to show him where we're at in totality. He doesn't want us to be in the vine and yet not be bearing fruit. Look at what God, what Jesus said to John in Revelation. Remember that church that he spoke to about them not being either hot or cold in Revelation 3? He said in verse 15, he said, "I know your works. You are neither hot nor neither cold, nor hot." I'm reading Revelation 3:15. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will do what? Vomit you out of my mouth. Again, that is not talking about casting anybody into hell. But it's talking about severing a relationship into his place of mercy. Because if you are cold, he knows that what you need is true salvation. If you are hot, he knows that what you need is to be pruned, to be hotter, and to continue to bear more fruit. So, but not being cold, not being hot, which is a state of many in the body of Christ today, very sadly, is not his desire. It makes the journey of a Christian a frustrating one, a frustrated one, if one does not apply himself to fruit bearing. If one does not, you see, when, when the woman, for example, another example, when the woman caught in adultery came to Jesus, she did not come as somebody who was hot. She did not come as somebody who was lukewarm. She came clearly as somebody who was cold, somebody caught in a sin, and somebody who really wanted mercy. And it was easy for her to obtain the mercy. Imagine her kneeling before the Lord. And saying, you see, justifying herself like the, like that Pharisee that, that, we, 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 that we quoted in Luke 17, that was talking about him being more righteous than the, the other person, that the tax collector. Remember, if that woman had stood there and said, you see, yes, I was caught in this sin, but the truth is, I, am a, I, 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 I believe that it is my right to, you know, as a child of God, to do this and to do that. And not acknowledging herself as a sinner... It becomes impossible, not because God does not want to touch such a person, but it becomes impossible by that, person's, by that person's confession for them to actually receive the mercy of God. The mercy of God is available, but only to those who are willing to receive it. When, G, when blind Bartimaeus in Mark 10 came to Jesus, Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? What specifically are you asking for my mercy to reach you in? And the man said, Lord, have mercy on me that I may receive my sight. God wants us to define ourselves. He has no problem with a person that is cold. Let's get it on. Let's, clear, let's clearly understand. He has no problem with a person that understands that they need help. They need to repent. He has no problem with anybody who understands that they are living in sin. In fact, he's looking for such a person. He has no problem with that at all. What is becoming a problem in the body of Christ today is neither being hot nor being cold. Is A lukewarm life has never helped and this is what Christ preached about and he told John in Revelations 3. When he spoke to that church, he told them that it, was, it would have been better for them to... Be either hot or cold. Because either way, hot or cold will receive his help in the right way. The cold will receive his help for mercy and be made hot. The hot will receive his help for mercy to be made hotter and more fruit bearing. So when he was talking in John 2 that if anyone, if anyone does not bear fruit, they are removed. He is talking about people who are refusing to be hot, they are refusing to be cold. And it strains the relationship that should, the vine should have with the branches. It makes it difficult for the branches to truly or the branch to optimize themselves in the race that they ought to be running. May God not make, may God help us to continue to be fruit bearing. In the mighty name of Jesus. Now I want to now talk about. The branches that refuse to abide. This is the very dangerous situation. And I'll prove this from scripture. He said, however, when the branch refused to abide, it receives the judgment of God. Let's read verse 6 again. John chapter 15, verse 6. He said, if anyone, verse 6, please, thank you. If anyone, let's go together. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. This is what subjects people to judgment. This is what subjects people to damnation. The Bible says, there is therefore now no condemnation. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 for us who are where in Christ Jesus abiding in Christ Jesus so if you are abiding but not bearing fruit you are not condemned you are not damned you are not judged for fire you are abiding but you are not bearing fruit but what you are what you are removed to is his mercy to help you to repent, to help you to transform, to help you to change. But if you refuse to abide, verse 6 again, please, verse 6 again. If you refuse to abide, you stop confessing, professing. You reject the sonship of the Lord Jesus Christ. You reject his lordship. You reject his sonship this is what the bible calls blasphemy against the holy spirit you reject the message of god to mankind and the help of the holy spirit such a person automatically makes themselves a candidate for this eternal judgment john chapter 3 verse 16 we know it by heart let's read it for god so loved the world That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him will not perish. Somebody say whoever abides. Will not perish. Whosoever believes in him will not perish. But he shall do what have everlasting life. And then in verse 17 he said. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. But he who does not believe is condemned already. So a rejection, outright rejection, is a very different thing to not bearing fruit. An outright open rejection of the Lordship of Christ and the Sonship of Christ is what makes a person positioned in such a way that they are putting themselves in the ways of eternal judgment. Let's read Hebrews chapter six, verse four. Hebrews chapter six, verse four. Everybody, let's go. For it is, let's go, verse six, verse four. Hebrews six four. For it is impossible. Hebrews six four. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened. Somebody say once enlightened. Say somebody who was once abiding. They were once enlightened. They have tasted. Past tense. They have tasted what the heavenly gift And have become partakers of the Holy Spirit. They have had the full experience. Verse 2. Verse 5. Sorry. Verse 5. He said and have tasted. Verse 5. Please go with me. I'm reading 4 to verse 6. Thank you. Verse 5 now. He said and have tasted. Verse 5. And have Tasted the good word of God. Somebody said the true vine. And the powers of the ages to come. Verse 6 now. Everybody, let's read verse 6 now. If they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. Now, Ever since I've known this scripture, by the grace and mercies of God, I have not found anybody, this is my honest truth, that still does not have a hope outside this. What do I mean by that? As many as are willing to repent, mercy continues to await. To come to this situation is when a person decides. It is like the experience of Judas. After every warning, every sign, you decide that I will still blaspheme. I will still go ahead and do it. Then it becomes impossible. Not even God, not even Jesus could stop Judas from what he did because of his own decisions. So every one of us must understand that God is waiting for us to be fruit-bearing, to be abiding. But he said, there is a danger if you have a. You have been abiding. You have been experiencing of the spirit. You have been experiencing of the good word of God. And then suddenly you fall away. Suddenly you start to walk in haughtiness. Suddenly you start to reject. And you stop bearing fruit. As we look at some of those fruits that we should bear very shortly. He said then it becomes impossible for you to encounter him again. And so I want to encourage every one of us to continue to be people who will seek to be fruit-bearing indeed. I say may God help us to be fruit-bearing indeed Amen. in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So we we'll go straight to the fruit-bearing branches, which I believe everyone genuine child of God is or at least should desire to be. John chapter 15, again verse 2. Verse two. Let's quickly read that. I will be going back and forth to it. Thank you. Let's go together. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. I've explained that a bit. Now let's read the second part. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. I want us to understand the word pruning. Some, some translations and versions will say purged. We need to understand what it means so that we can see how we bear more fruit with it. In Physical cooking and gardening and those kind of things that we deal with plants and crops. Pruning is done with a sharp object, usually a knife or something that can help to remove unwanted parts. Do you understand what I'm saying? So it is a process that subjects the believer to something that may be painful, either emotionally or even physically. Something that places a demand on self and trims the self of a person completely. What I mean by self is the flesh, the natural person that is refusing to yield as much as is possible to the supernatural so that the fruit of the spirit are not born. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1, He says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us do what? Run with endurance the race that is set before us. Things that make it difficult for us to run this Christian race. Now, every Christian has things that will continue to be pruned until we see the Lord. Some people have plenty, plenty some have relatively less but the truth is no human being will not need to continually be pruned hallelujah hallelujah so god uses various knives to prune us he looks at where we ought to be going he looks at who he wants us to be and he sees where we're at and what he does is that he takes his pruning knife seeing that we are bearing some fruit but we could bear more in other areas and it starts to deal with parts of us that is making it difficult. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, you don't need to turn to it. It says you therefore must endure hardship. Some other versions say hardness as a true child of God. Hardness is one of the things that God uses to prune us. He toughens us up. No believer can make this race as a willy-nilly willy-nilly Christian, one who is just blown by this today, affected by that tomorrow, instable today. You can't, do, you can't run this race like that. We are going to go into a series that looks at these athletics, the soldiers, athletes, and farmers very shortly. But the reality is that you cannot see an athlete that wins a major competition, something serious, not this backyard one that they do for play, some serious competition that has not subjected himself or herself to serious regimens of training. And so believers must understand that when God is trying to build hardness in us, He is not a punishment. He' is pruning us so that we can stand in these times that we live. David was taught a lot of hardness when he was fighting, the, the sheep, when he was fighting the, the bear and the lion that were trying to attack his sheep. I am sure David must have felt, what kind of a job is this? Animals trying to kill my sheep. And so one day he's fighting a lion. The other day he's fighting the bear. And he's tearing them up and killing them up. But in that process, God was teaching him how to be hard. How not to be afraid of those things that threaten the sheep. Because it was not about the physical sheep he was, he was training and he was uh, taking care of. But it was much more about the sheep of the Lord. The armies of the Lord which he eventually faced. When he faced Goliath. Remember that story very well. It is important for us to understand. Now many believers don't want to endure hardness. The smallest thing that God brings our way. To try to toughen us up. To try to help us to pray. To try to help us. We falter. We just give up. It becomes very easy. And that is not God's intention. God wants you to go through things. That will help you so that you can be stronger and you can also help others in their time of pain. At times, he uses loss of reputation to teach us humility. Remember Moses? Moses was a man who was brought up in the palace of the king, and he used to walk about as a prince. Then one day he felt that, I have an assignment here. I must rescue my people, because he started to understand who he truly was. So he saw one person killing trying to kill the other person, or fighting rather the other person, and he just went there and smote the guy. You know, one time he just cleared the guy off. He must have been very strong to do that, because there were two people standing there. (laughs) But he smote one of them, and the other one escaped. But the one that escaped saw what had happened, and said to him one day, he said, Are you going to kill me like you killed the other man? Ah, it became a problem. (laughs) God taught Moses how to be humble. Because if you are going to lead three million people, and your pride is going to make you to try to be strangling them one after the other, you you have not got the clue of what is ahead of you. So God used that one experience to teach Moses humility. And the time came, the Bible says, nobody was as meek as Moses on the face of the earth. God wants you and I to be a people... Who have less value on reputation? This thing called reputation is overrated. It is why people cannot openly proclaim Christ on their social media feeds because of reputation. It is why people can no longer take insult for Christ. I'm not saying just be taking insult anyhow, anywhere, but for Christ, for the sake of Christ. You must know that if you are going to be a person, the Bible says, our Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Going to the cross, he made himself what? Of no reputation. We have done a series on that before in this church. He made himself of no reputation. This your ego and this your me, myself, who do you think you are talking to? Has no place in this kingdom. As long as you stand tall as a human being, you are not yet born again totally. You need to understand that when you are born again, that man has died. I said that old man has died. Now he has died, but he will be rising up every day. You kill him every day. You kill him every day, intentionally. You say, is that what you, you allow them to say that to you? You tell the old man, they are not saying it to me. That They are saying it to you who have died. Hallelujah. <laughs> Go back to your grave. But you too, you agree, you say, that's true. If not for this born again. <laughs> if any man be in Christ. He is a new creation. All things have passed away. And all things have become new. You no longer have a reputation. This has nothing to do with your self-worth or self-dignity. God has put all those things in place. But whatever you are, you are in Christ. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, he said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I, the old man that live. He said, the life I live now, I live by faith. In who? The son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So when God sees that reputation is still your problem, he will bring things that will keep testing your ego. He will keep testing. Bring things that is the knife he will be using to, to trim your ego because that ego is limiting you from bearing fruit in certain areas of your life. You must all understand that what God wants to do in our life is much more than we can see today. If you are called into any aspect of ministry, whether it's parental ministry, because you don't know it's a ministry, whether it's parental ministry or spousal ministry because you don't know it's a ministry. You are called, you know, every spouse is a ministry, is a minister to the other person. Do you understand that? Every spouse is a minister to the other person. You are there to succor one another, comfort one another. You are there to honor one another, support one another, encourage one another. So you have a ministry even to your spouse. You have a ministry to your children. You have a ministry to your parents. Then you have a ministry to others outside. Every one of us called to ministry in every way, shape or form must continue to see ourselves as people who are truly Needing to be losing our reputation. You must be humble. You must be humble. You must be ready to say, honey, I'm sorry. And it doesn't have to be one spouse. Both spouses must be ready to say, I'm sorry, when they find that they are wrong. Be ready to say, I'm sorry, to your child. Be ready to say, I'm sorry, to your parents. Be ready to say, I'm sorry, to people that you have hurt or you have offended or people that have misunderstood you. It is all part of what you need to do in terms of giving up your reputation. People will slander you. People will talk things about you. People will lie against you. Do you know that the more prominent or the more influential you become in life, the more many people know about what you do, the more you are open to people's criticisms? Do you know that? The more you are open to gossip. People don't gossip people that, they, that people other people don't know. <laughs> it's a waste of time. So they gossip about what, what is the purpose of you coming to tell me something about somebody in Palestine now that I don't know? It, it doesn't make sense. But if you ask me about, you know, a, a prominent person there that is maybe the prime minister or somebody, if you bring a gossip about the person, I'll say, oh, really? Because I know the person I can relate. So the higher you go, the more God helps you to grow in life. You have to understand that reputation must be dealt with because it will want to stand in the way. Persecutions are used to teach us focus. 1 Peter 5.10, the Bible says that they made the Lord perfect, establish and strengthen you after you have suffered a little while. Believers must understand that not all suffering is evil. Not all suffering is evil. These are messages that Pentecostal people don't preach a lot these days because our message is name it, claim it, grab it, have it, and keep growing. <laughs> Many times life doesn't work as name it, claim it, grab it. At times you have named it one times, time. You claimed it and God said, I'm not giving you now. I want you to learn patience. Hallelujah. When I was a young, young professional, very young, much younger professional, starting out, I was 21 years old back in my home country in Nigeria. I had a very good civil engineering degree, all my classmates were getting job in oil companies. Those days, that was the prime job to get for people like us, you would, you, you, you uh, you know, that was what we all look forward to. And I applied everywhere that I, everybody was applying, and everybody was getting their offers. Mine never came. The only one that came and was almost going to, I passed the first stage, those days you do about three stages, so I was going to be invited for the third stage. The invitation letter to go and do my medical and basically come and pick my appointment, somebody took the letter and put it in a drawer and went on leave for three weeks. (laughs) And she came back very, 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 very sanctimoniously. She said, I have a letter for you. I said, where is the letter? She brought it out. She said, I kept it. I don't want anybody else in our office. She said, I didn't want anybody else to see it. (laughs) I looked at it. The moment I saw it, I knew what it was because I was waiting for it. I passed first stage, second stage, and they told me that the last stage is just for me to get the form and go to place within a short time to do my medicals. That was the day when I opened the letter and I saw it. The woman was frozen because she knew what value that had. And I said she shouldn't worry. I said, I am now convinced that God does not want me in an oil company. You can believe what you want to believe, but that was my story. (laughs) Because there was nothing that I should have done that I didn't do. But that thing taught me something. And you know what I went back to? I went back to teaching part-time. I didn't get a job, I went back to teaching part-time and uh, in the the institution that my father worked at that time, I got some maths sessions, physics sessions to be teaching people who were doing certificates in education, mathematics, physics and then I took my father's camera and I had a part-time photography business with it. So I will finish teaching them and I will gather them together and say take a photo shot I will snap everybody will pay me. (laughs) It's been long that I have businesses. (laughs) Everybody will pay me from that photo. That was how I was making my life. One lady in the year 1990, one lady, I was 21 years old, like I said. One lady, she was doing her youth service in Nigeria. If you finish the degree, you do one year to serve the country. Uh, They called it the National Youth Service Scheme. And... One lady saw me. She was about 23, 24 that time. She was just serving. I had finished service because I finished very early. I had finished service at that point. But she said to me, she said, David, you are a disgrace to graduates. I said, me? He said, yes. He said, how can you be doing this kind of work? He said, are you not a civil engineer? I said, yes. He said, can't you find any other things? I said, no. I didn't find <laughs> So what do you want me to do, sit at home? I carried that camera with every dignity I could find in myself, with the encouragement of my father and everybody around me. And I want to thank God. I want to thank God that I did not disgrace my profession. Thirty years later, by the grace of God, I have become an international figure in my own profession. The same profession that woman told me I was a disgrace in. Hallelujah. Don't let anybody rob you of where you are going, if I engaged with that woman, that lady that day in a fight, and I exchanged words with her, I don't know what would have happened. But I carried my camera and I said, thank you very much, if that is all you feel. Thank you very much. There is a place God is taking you to. And this is why today, whilst I'm grateful to God for all those privileges he has given me over these years, I am never ever now moved by whatever it is. I continue to find that God is the one who puts a person where they ought to be. And I pray that God will continue to make us such in Jesus' name. So he uses persecution. He uses things like disappointment by people. Remember the butler that was supposed to tell Joseph about Joseph? He didn't do it for two years. But when Joseph got to the throne, it added to the list of the things that taught him how to be merciful, how to be patient. By the time he saw his brothers, if he had not gone through that that rejection in Potiphar's house, that rejection in prison by the man who was supposed to remember him and he did not do so, he would have probably been harsh to his brothers. There is something greater ahead for you and every one of us must understand that God can use disappointment by people to teach us how to rely absolutely on him. Some of us need to be disappointed by people. Don't say, I'm cursing you. Because your reliance on people is stopping you from relying on God. If you have somebody who sends you money anytime, you say, money, he sends, he's not a good person. Because, now, don't get me wrong, thank God for the person. Thank God for the person. I'm not calling them evil. But you should understand that if you have potential, to connect to god and that person is making you not to see god they are not serving a good purpose even with all the good intention they have everybody i send money to back in my home country on a monthly basis i challenge them continuously apart from my mother and our my parents-in-law those ones they are our regular salary constant that one is (laughs) non-negotiable But all these other young, young guys, I challenged them. Brother, I need a hundred thousand naira today. Okay, I gave you three months ago. What did you do? What is that business idea you say you have? One of them said he wants to do fishery. I was very excited. Said, at least you want to do something now. I sent some money to him. He, he chopped everything. <laughs> no fish, no pond, no, nothing. <laughs> when I went to bury my dad in September, and I saw him, I said, Where are the fishes? He said, brother, is this? I say, don't 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 write me again. <laughs> he said, My wife is pregnant. I said, All of you don't write me again. <laughs> if you know your wife will be pregnant, somebody gave you money to reproduce what will bring you more money. You you, you ate everything. Then you are to come. <laughs> so there are some people you need to help like. This. And then I started to challenge him about how he he needs to think. he needs to think and we need to be doing this for people at times i'm not asking you to be mean god sees my heart i try to help as much as i can but don't let people be your god no human being no pastor nobody should take the place of god in your life people are channels through whom god will work always keep your focus on god when God sees that you are, you are relying on people and you are no longer seeing him, he starts to make people disappoint you. Then you will say God is wicked. He's not wicked. He's trying to help you to understand that your focus is blurred. Your vision is limited. Hallelujah. So when he uses disappointment by people, let us not think he's being mean. What he's trying to do is to help us to see how we can rely on him. We can go on and on. He can use trials like he did for Abraham to teach him to be persevering. Now, very quickly, I want to end on the fruits we are to bear. The fruits we are to bear. The first very important fruit is the fruit of true repentance. True repentance means that we have had a total turnaround. There are many people who don't have a true repentance. You know it by the fruit you are bearing. Let me tell you how repentance works. It is a turnaround to the direction of God. When you are going away from God, repentance, means, which means turn around, is a turnaround to face God. What repentance, true repentance does, is that it makes your desires godly. It makes you want to pursue the things of God. The things of the world now stay behind you. But if you say you have repented, and somehow... The things of the world are still the things attracting you and then God is somehow a drag for you. You need to check your repentance and say, Lord, help me to be truly repented." How many people understand what I'm talking about? True repentance will always give you a heart that wants to go to the things of God. Psalm 92 verse 12. He said, the righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Verse 13 says, those who are planted... Planted, Psalm 92 verse 13, those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish like the courts of our God. Every one of us must understand that what God is expecting of us is the fruit of true repentance. Luke chapter 3 verse 7, he gave them this word when he called them the brood of vipers. The Bible says then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him brood of vipers who want you to flee from the wrath to come verse 8 let's read verse 8 together let's read verse 8 together therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not begin to say to yourself we have abraham as our father for i say to you that god is able to raise up children to abraham and from these stones he said, don't be saying that, oh, I belong to a church. I'm just trying to qualify what he's saying. Don't be saying, oh, I go to Life Gate. Oh, I I, go, I used to be Winner. I used to be this. I go to Methodist Church. Oh, I, oh, I identify, my father is a Christian. Oh, this, these are the kind of things that he's saying that we have Abraham as our father. Something that identifies with something correct, but the individual is disconnected. He said, Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham. For I say to you that God is able to use anyone. Don't think that those things save you. Look at verse 8, verse 8, verse 9 now. He said, And even now, the axe is what? Laid to the root of the trees, that every one tree that does not bear good fruit is done what? Cast down and thrown into the fire. This is talking about people who claim to be repented, but they have not yet repented. Friends, there is no halfway born again. There is no partial born again. It's either you are born again or you are not born again. If you are not sure you are born again, you are not yet born again. you are not sure that you are saved, you are not yet saved. Look at it in the physical. Has any of your child appeared to you in the living room one day and said, Dad, am I living? Am I alive? Have you ever had such a question from your child? No. No. They are as sure as possible that they are alive. If you are born again, you will be as sure So I am asking everyone under the sound of my voice today, the fruit of true repentance is the first fruit that is expecting us to bear. Let us not be like Simon the sorcerer. In Acts chapter 8, he claimed to be born again when he saw Philip and all the guys doing some great stuff. He was also a magician. He just joined them and he started to live the life with them. Then one day, He looked at Peter, of all people. He looked at Peter and said, give me this power that you are using to do these miracles. Let me pay you for it. That was the day Peter knew that this guy is not born again. (laughs) This guy has just been following us. He he, he no get it at all. Peter said, your money perish with you. Hallelujah. Even even though Peter himself, he was still under the process of (laughs) of transformation. But he said, your money perish with you. He said, do you think that the things of God are bought with money? Who do you think we are? You think the things of God are bought with money? He said, anyway, pray, peradventure. God will have mercy on you. That is where the place of mercy is. So when you are not born again sincerely and you want to abide, all you need is to cry for God's mercy and say, Lord, have mercy on me so that I can truly have encounters. Everyone who is born again must understand that God is expecting us to bear more fruit But everyone who is not born again or not sure of being born again, the first thing God is expecting of us is to truly be bearing fruit. He said the axe is laid at the root of such trees. He said every tree which does not bear that good fruit, even though it's looking like one of the plantings in the house of the Lord, even though it's looking like one of the trees of righteousness, he said such a person will not, he said it's cast down and it will be thrown into the fire. But what God is asking is before such happens, you need to come to him for mercy. And I pray that God will help us today to embrace his true repentance in totality. In the name of Jesus. Number two, we must bear the fruit of righteousness. If we are born again, we must demonstrate the evidence of righteousness. We must show that the righteousness that is imputed to us and the one we are to minister to others others are real. Romans chapter 6 verse 20. The Bible says, for when you were slaves of sin, verse 20... He said you were free in regard to righteousness. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Verse 17. He said, and if some branches were broken off and you being. Verse, please, I need it very quickly. Um, sorry, verse 21. Verse 21. Thank you. Sorry, verse 21. Thank you. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is what is death. Verse 22. Let's read verse 22 together. He said, But now, having been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, you have fruit to where? To holiness and the end, everlasting life. We must continue to manifest fruit to holiness as people who have been saved from being slaves of sin. Now we are slaves to God. Having become slaves to God, having become servants of God, we must have fruit. That bears holiness. We must understand that the things that God loves are the things that we should naturally be loving. The things that God hates are the things we should be hating. Remember when we looked at Proverbs chapter six from verse sixteen to nineteen, we looked at the six things God hates: lying tongue, a proud look, a haughty spirit, a heart that sheds innocent blood, a heart that is quick to shed, uh, to to to, uh, to commit evil, and feet that rush into evil, and so on. We looked at those things. There are things God hates and this is how we also must be bearing the fruit of holiness to the end to everlasting life by hating those things. Proverbs chapter 11 verse 30 says the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life and he who wins a soul is wise. We should also be rejoicing. We should also be thankful and desiring to win souls. Soul winning is not something that is meant for an exclusive few in the body of Christ. Every Christian must be desirous of seeing others saved because it is part of what shows that we have fruit of righteousness and we are in the ministry of reconciliation according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. We are into that same ministry calling people to repentance. Number three things. What's the first type of fruit? True repentance. The second type? Righteousness, imputed and ministered. Righteousness, imputed to us and ministered to others. Numbers three thing. Humility. We must have humility as a fruit. Humility and holy reverence. This is where I want to read Romans 11 verse 16. It says, for the first fruits, if the first fruits is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Verse 17. And if some of the branches were broken off, And you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them. You were wild. You were unsaved. But now you are grafted in to become partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree. Let's read verse 18. He said, do not, verse 18, everybody, let's go. Do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root. But the root supports you. You are branches i am a branch we are branches of the vine let us not boast when we see others falling when we see others not making it let us not boast that we think we can stand paul said if you you to him that thinks he stands let him take heed because he too can fall have you not seen in a race where people are running and people are running and then suddenly one person falls down out of the six of them or eight of them and then everybody else is running and it looks as if one person is about to win and everybody is about to start clapping that he will win and then he now falls down. Have you ever seen such a race? That person now falls down and then the person that nobody was even expecting at all, the one that was like on number two or three in the in the lineup now becomes the one who wins the the race. Till we get to the end, we must remain humble understanding that if we are standing, the Bible says those of us who are standing must always be looking for those who are falling and helping them to stand. We pray with them. We support them. And then we humble ourselves consistently. Pride is going to stop many people from bearing fruit. This is one of the reasons why we cannot afford not to allow the pruning of God that he does through the uh, vine that we we have, that have, that we are a part of, we must not stop that pruning in our lives because pride is going to stop us from many things. And so God will continue to help us to remain humble and reverent in Jesus' name. We must be humble and God fearing always. The Bible says that God He has showed you, O oh man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? We quote that scripture a lot, Micah 6:8. He said, And to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Number fourteen, good works. We must do good works. It is a fruit. Ephesians 2:10. says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God had prepared beforehand that we should walk in them we are prepared for good works this talks about the fruit of the spirit love showing love joy peace patience kindness gentleness faithfulness goodness self control galatians 5:22 to 23 tells us those things they are the good works that we must be bearing So when we have true repentance, we're walking in righteousness, and we are humble, we must be showing good works. The love that you show for God and for man is what helps you to be able to be benevolent to others. It's what helps you to be able to desire to share the love of God with others. Because they are good works. You share your resources, the things that God has put in your hands. You are not seeing them as your private property alone. You are seeing them as God's blessings to your life and through your life. And that takes me to the final point. We need to be selfless. We must be selfless. We need to be thinking about others. One of the reasons why Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4 that men will be brutal in the end times is because people will be very, very selfish. People will be selfish. They will be selfish in their mannerism. They will be selfish in their consideration of others. They don't care as long as it's good for them. It's, that's okay? John Maxwell said something very funny, very very interesting story when we had him here a couple of years ago, and uh, <laughs> he said, "Have you not noticed that when people take a group photograph and there are about you know 15 people in the in the in the photo, when they show it to the first person, what is he looking for? Who is he looking for inside?" He's looking for himself. As long as he sees the photo and he's okay. He'll say, oh, this is a very good photo. Even if the other person was looking like that. And the other one has not looked up. Or the other one's uh, tie was this way. <laughs> he will just look for himself. He'll say, oh, this is, this is a very, very good photo. <laughs> and if he's not looking good or she's not looking good. And everybody else is okay. He'll say, this is a bad picture. <laughs> this is a bad picture. We must not put it anywhere. <laughs> we are selfish people. We look after ourselves a lot. It is a natural tendency because it is a survival instinct. But we must not allow our spirituality to be dominated, to, to be dominated by self-centeredness. We have to subject our self-centeredness to the Lordship of Christ and allow Him to walk in us. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. He said, you will see it in false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Verse 8, 16. He said, you will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs or figs from thistles? We are saved to serve. It is a true test of a true ministry. And that is the true test of a true minister. A minister... And a ministry that is not looking for what they will get from you, but rather much more concerned about whatever it is God can put in their lives, spiritually, physically, and every other way to be a blessing to you. That is the true ministry. He said in Matthew chapter 7, where I just read, He said, Beware of false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Anybody who places a demand on you to pay them before they give you they pray with you on the matter are ravenous wolves. There's no other way to describe it. Any other person that places a demand on you to pay for whatever anointing you think they carry and you want to be a part of and you want to get a blessing of, then they are ravenous wolves. No true servant of God should place such demand on you. They are simply selfish and they are after their own mouths and their bellies. Every one of us must also see ourselves, that we are in that line whereby we are ministering to others, recognizing that we have to inconvenience ourselves. This Christianity will cost you sleep. It will cost you money. A true Christian cannot live without those sacrifices. It's impossible. It will cost you inconvenience. It will cost you your own time. It will cost you many things. This is what he said when he said, if you are going to follow me, take up your cross and follow me. It's not that thing we do every Easter and we do that show and we put on Facebook say we are carrying cross. That, that's not what it is. It is a lifestyle of consistently emptying yourself. Many times money will come into my hand like this and as it is coming, it's going to somebody. And not that I don't have my own needs. As it is coming like this, God will say to me, right there, He say, you know this money, is to help this person that has said this problem. So I say, Lord, I remember. I say, now, do it. No waste time. No waste time. Uh, but the truth is that somehow, my own needs to have been met. This is the mystery. Yes, somehow. Somehow. So this is the way. We live it like that and we understand that if you want to be closed in and self-centered, you cannot flow in the fruit that God wants you to flow in. And I want to encourage and challenge every one of us to keep thinking outside the box. God's mercy is always helping us to make the most of time. God is not willing that any should perish. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8 and 9 tells us this. God is not interested in anybody perishing. When people say about heaven and hell, and they say God is wicked and God sends people to hell, God is not interested in sending anybody whatsoever to hell. Anybody that goes to hell, goes to hell of their own volition. God is not willing to send anybody to hell. God is Patient. Look at Second Peter chapter 3 verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long suffering. 2 Peter 3 9 toward us. Not willing that what? Anyone that anyone should perish. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should it, come to repentance. That is the God we serve. So he is asking you and I to examine ourselves and come to him in the place of mercy. Christ is always interceding for us. He gave a story in Luke chapter 13, verse 6. He spoke a parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. He came seeking fruit on it. He found none. And the keeper of the vineyard said, look, for three years I have come seeking fruit. Cut it down. Why does he use up the ground? Verse 8 says, but he answered and said to him, sir, let it alone this year until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well, but if not, there's nothing I can do. You can cut it down. I put those words there. If not, after, you can cut it down. But go back to verse 8. Go back to verse 8. He said, sir, let it alone, verse 8, sir, let it alone this year until I dig around it and fertilize it some translations say until I dung it until I help it Jesus is always interceding for you and I to help us let's keep running to him like that woman ran to him when he was about she was about to be stoned to death let's run to him like that woman with the issue of blood when it looked as if there was no more help from physical means let's run to him like blind Bartimaeus even though there are voices that will tell us that there is nothing he can do for us we have gone haywire we have done too many bad things run to him there are many people that are being lied to today because that because they committed so many abortions in their life that they can never have a child run to him run to him there are many people that have made bad business decisions very bad ones that have cost them money they have taken money that their spouses did not even know that they have used and they have gone into things Some have done gambling. Some have tried, uh, 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 what do you call this, multi-level marketing, you know, (laughs) MMM, MMM, MMM. and the likes. They have done all those things and lost money, thousands of pounds. Don't say, "I I made it, I brought it upon myself. No, run to him today out of his mercy. Some have left him because they were disappointed by church people, and they no longer want to be part of church, or they no longer want to be active in church. Don't fall for that lie of the devil. Run to him. The blood of Jesus continues to dig around us. So that we can bear more fruit. He is digging around you and I constantly. To help us to bear more fruit. In the mighty name of Jesus. He said I did not choose you. You did not choose me. I chose you. John 15:16. And I appointed you. That you should go and bear fruit. There is nothing God has ever asked us to go and do that he has not given us the resource to do. Every time God says go and do something, he has put the seed to make it happen there. When he said be fruitful, multiply, everything we need to be fruitful and multiply was already in us. When he says go and bear fruit, everything we need to bear fruit is in us. So don't see yourself any longer as somebody who cannot bear fruit of true repentance or of righteousness. Don't see yourself as somebody who cannot bear true fruit of humility anymore. Don't see yourself as somebody who cannot bear true fruit of good works. Just loving people, walking in joy all the time. Just seeking to be good to people, to walk in faithfulness to God and to man. God is looking for you to bear fruit because he knows that he has appointed you to bear fruit. When an ambassador is appointed and is sent to a country, everything they need is sent ahead of them their accommodation, the things they need, by the time they get there, it's all waiting and ready. They only get there and do the work. God is not a taskmaster that will ask us to do. The day he called me to do this, he knows that I will need a lot of energy to stand here, not less than 40 Sundays a year, with the kind of work I do on top of everything week to week. He knows that I will need energy, but the day I said, yes, Lord, I'm ready. One day when we were about to dedicate this church about nine years ago, I stood here from 9 p.m. to 12 on this very altar, just about a week to the dedication, and I led people. I didn't go to my seat once. I stood here from 9. I led prayer, praise, worship, word, prayer. I didn't move from here for three hours. And that day he said to me, son, I've put it on you. (laughs) Since that day I find energy that I don't know where it's coming from. My God will do wonderful things in your life. You will bear fruit in the name of Jesus rise to your feet and let's talk